Great to see you. How many here were a part of the winter weekend for the youth? Would you just... All right. Awesome, man. Great weekend. I just want to say how much I appreciate Brett Jones. I feel so blessed to be able to serve alongside of Brett. He looked so fresh this morning, I said, you really weren't there, were you? How you could survive all that, he looked wide awake this morning. So as Bobby mentioned, uh, next week starts our 72-hour prayer. It's really just a time to step back, just love on God. And so we're going to have the sanctuary, the church open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you want to come and go, or you can obviously pray at home. But we're really just kind of stepping back and just loving on God for a few days and just kind of slowing everything down. I love, uh, people send things out on Facebook, and so I want to share, I got a little bit of a warped sense of humor, but uh, Jerry Martin sent this out on Facebook. He said, why country kids have good immune systems, all right? And so kids are just so amazing. I mean, it is a miracle that we survive childhood, right? But anyway, God does some amazing things, but I somehow this picture, that shows kind of where my mind is. I just thought, that's, that's pretty cool, all right? I could see myself doing that when I, was, when I was little, all right? So we started a series last week. We kind of overviewed uh, seven foundational goals for members of our church. Last week, I showed you some pictures of what happens when you don't have a good foundation, and I want to share with you some more today, all right? So this is what happens if you don't have a good foundation foundation. I love this picture on the lower right, by the way. How many of you see a potential problem with that foundation? All right. It is kind of funny. All right. We actually, the house we lived in here in Villa Ridge when Brenda and I was a hundred and something years old. It was so old that literally, somebody said, how old was it, man? God bless you, man. It was so old that actually the foundation on the old part of the house was just rocks stacked on top of each other. There was no martyr in between. It was just rocks. So it would all, how many of you know that it always was settling? You fix the drywall, next month, there's cracks. I mean, not, it, we just didn't have much of a foundation. But thank God we sold it. Amen, we sold it. Bought a house five years old, yes. And so God is good. But foundations are really, really important. Not only in a house or a building, but in every home. We all have a foundation. We're either building on the rock or we're building on the sand, all right? And so last week, as I shared this picture, I actually went outside on February, or January 4th, took a picture of our church. I added, I cropped in a really nice parking lot and a couple new cars here that weren't out there uh, when I took the picture. But underneath our building, as it sits right now, there is a foundation, all right? And every church has foundational principles that, that every church... People ask me, what, what is our church about? What is really the foundation of our church? And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about that. And I'm going to start from the bottom up. Because on a foundation, that, that bottom layer is absolutely the most important. It's that bedrock uh, layer there. So we're going to begin, as we talked a little bit last week, in Matthew chapter 22. All right? So you're going to read with me. I just want you guys to read as a lawyer came and asked Jesus a really important question. What is it all about? What is the most important thing in Scripture? Because people ask, what is the most important thing? Let's read together from Matthew chapter 22. A lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, 
what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said, in essence, what this book is about. It's literally about two things. It's about a love relationship with God, number one. The second is just like it. It's about a love relationship with others. That's really the foundational bedrock foundation of a church. It's loving God and loving people. Now, I love to be around children because children are just so real and transparent. And so they ask kids about love, what love is, how to describe love. And of course, they're going mostly by their parents. But I think there's some connection between our love in a marriage and our love with God. But here's what these children shared about love. Love according to children ages four through eight. How many of you know you never know what kids are going to say? All right. So I think I've shared, Art Linkletter says, kids are funny because they don't know what they're saying. Old people are funny because we don't care what we're saying. We've lived long enough, we can say what we want, all right? But these are thoughts on love according to children. Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. How many of you guys remember that, all right? It's been a while, all right? And so I think she's got something there. Lauren, age four, says, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all of her old clothes and she has to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> How many of you had older siblings that loved you? All right. God hand me downs. Chris, age seven, says, Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. <laughs> That's love right there. That's love. And this one, I, this one's quite a questionable whether I should have put it in there or not. Love is when mommy sees daddy sitting on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. All right? Now, I don't know how this child knew that mommy was seeing daddy sitting on the pot. But anyway, questionable, I know. So talk to the deacons if you have a question, all right? That was Mark, age six. Tommy, age six, also said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. That's good. That's good. That's good stuff right there. And then there's Chrissy, age six, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries to eat. And if you like french fries, that's a sacrifice. That's really a sacrifice. I think the last one here, Nikki, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone you hate. That's good. You need to write that one down. That's good. I mean, I mean, when we're talking about love, and, and the Bible says we're not only to love our family and friends, but we're to love even our enemies. That's a verse I sometimes want to cut out. But that's really good stuff right there. If you want to learn to love better, start with someone you hate. Now, I realize no one here hates anybody. We're all just, we just love everybody, all right? Number two, it's defining love. The Bible gives kind of a dictionary-type definition of love, very familiar chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We sometimes refer to it as the love chapter. But Paul kind of describes that God kind of love that we're talking about, all right? So let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the early part of verse 8. And by the way, if you ever want to read this and just kind of put your name everywhere that love is found, it really is a good way to read the chapter because it should be true 
of all believers if we have that kind of love, all right? So let's read his definition of love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, and does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so true godly love never fails. And as a matter of fact, it's so important that we do everything in love. He actually says in the beginning part of the chapter that without love, without operating in this kind of love, everything we're doing is for naught, is for nothing. All right, so let's see what he says in the early part of the chapter. Let's read together. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Literally, that's why love literally is that bedrock foundation. Without love, literally everything we're doing is a waste. And by the way, I've had somebody, I heard a pastor say one time, we can never love like God. We can never love like God. And he even got some amens. But I want to tell you, I want to first of all agree, we cannot love like God in the flesh. But God is commanding us. God is asking us. God is challenging us to love exactly like he loves. And the only way we can pull it off if we walk in the Spirit and let God love through us. But we can love like God because it is literally God in us loving through us. Because we're not always lovable. Would you agree? You can look at your spouse and nod right now. Okay, We're not always lovable. But again, God wants us to love each other. Number four, true love seeks union. I did a whole sermon on true love seeking union. Real love desires union. That's why when God created Adam and Eve, I go back and I say, God created Adam and Eve not to evangelize, not to, there was nobody to evangelize. He didn't create Adam and Eve just to work for him and serve him. I believe the number one reason he created Adam and Eve was for a love relationship. He created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. And so when he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, their very first full day on earth was the seventh day, which was what? Sabbath. So on man's first day on earth, you know what they got to do? Nothing except hang out with God. Can I tell you, sometimes we start the Christian life 100 miles an hour. We're going, 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 busy, busy, busy. We give somebody jobs to do. Can I tell you the number one job we need to learn as a Christian is to step back and just spend time with God. We need to develop a love relationship with God. And sometimes pastors are always busy. Do more, do more, go more. If you love God, you'll do more. Can I tell you, that's not true. Sometimes we need to take a step back and just spend time with God. More than anything else, God is calling you to a love relationship. 
It really is the foundational principle of every church, and I should be, of every Christian life. By the way, he loves us so much, he wants us to be in heaven with him. I mean, true love seeks union. And because Adam and Eve sinned and man was separated with, from God because of sin, true love seeks union. And he loved us so much, he allowed Jesus to come and die on the cross because he, he didn't want heaven without us. I get to do a lot of funerals as I share many weeks. And this yesterday I got to do a funeral for a couple that lived in Texas. He passed away. And so I got to talk to the wife. And many times when I'm asked to do a funeral for somebody that's not connected, they weren't going to church at all. But this couple was really involved in a church in Texas. And so the wife was just absolutely a sweetheart to talk with. She said to me, would you mind sharing the gospel? I said, I will try to work it in. I always share the gospel. But how many of you know when the wife's on the front row nodding at you while you're sharing the love of God, it just like put coal on the fire. She didn't want me to not say that God loved them, that Jesus died for them. And so I can always say at every service, no matter how well I know them, if I didn't know them at all, whether they went up or whether they went down, I know this, that if they could come back, they would want to tell their family that God loves you so much. That God didn't want heaven without you. And I know you're here to pay tribute to this person, but maybe God brought us together just to remind us that life is short, death is certain, and eternity is sure. And he loves you so much. I always get to end the service by trying to just tell him how much God loves him. Every service I pray, I say, God, if they don't walk away with anything else, help them to know how much you love them. And I get to just love on them. So true love seeks union. By the way, when we get to heaven, and I know people talk about the street of gold, the, the gates are pearls. Can I tell you that the most massive thing about heaven is God's there. And, and not only are we going to be happy to be there, but God is going to be happy for us to be there. I love that verse in Isaiah that says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will my God rejoice over you. It's been a while since you guys have been married, haven't it? I mean, this is where I stand. We do a wedding. The groom's right there, usually. The groom turns. He looks back at the back when the doors open. And the bride comes in with her dad. And everybody stands, they turn and they look at the bride, because it's a bride's day. I'm looking at the groom, too. These big old burly guys, man, big old strong guys. When they see the bride coming down the aisle, 99% of them, man, tears streaming down their cheek. Can I tell you, when you get to heaven, not only are you going to be glad to see God, but as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will my God rejoice over you. Whew. He absolutely loves you. He loved you so much that he allowed Jesus to die because he wanted to have heaven with you. Whew. Isn't that crazy? That he's going to be excited to see us. Number five, true love gives you know, when you really have that God kind of love, you just want to meet every need possible. Some of the verses we love to quote, again, tie in the love of God. 
uh, maybe none more than John 3.16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. Go ahead and say it. He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did he give his Son? For God so loved the world he gave. He loved you so much. And he knew that we were forever separated from him. And he looked at his son, and he looked at us. He looked at his son, and he looked at us. And he said, you know what? They're worth Calvary. He loved you so much, you were worth Calvary. That's crazy. And sometimes, again, we, we work ourselves. We somehow feel like we've got to earn God's love. I want to tell you, he loves you as you are right now. In Romans, or John chapter 15, Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The absolute greatest expression of love is to lay down a life, because that's all you have. God loved you so much, if you ever doubt his love, just go back to Calvary. Just go back to Calvary and to know that everything he went through was for you. And I know people say, salvation is free. Salvation is free. And it is a free gift. But can I remind you, salvation was not free. Jesus paid a tremendous price. He took our sin and his body on that tree. Salvation was not free. It cost God everything. And the reason he was willing to go through Calvary was his love for you. That's why when we get to heaven, it's no wonder the Bible says we fall on our face. I think we're going to be so blown away that holy God would love us so much that he would be willing to come down, take on an earth suit, and to die on the cross just so true love seeks union. Heaven is going to be an amazing experience of love. A verse we love to quote in giving the plan of salvation, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died. You didn't have to come to church. You didn't have to perform. While you were still a sinner, he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. I just want to say, you know, experiencing the love of God. It was a few years back. And I probably talk more about the love of God than anything. Somebody said, I'll be glad when we get on to something else. But everything has the foundation of God's love. Without that love, everything we do is nothing. But when it dawns on you that God loves you as you are and not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be on this side. And if you can't experience the love of God in the process, you're never going to experience the love of God. And if I were to ask you, does God love you? You'd say, well, yeah, he's got to love us. It's biblical. But if I were to say, does God actually like you? I'm going to tell you, God not only loves you, he actually likes you. And he knows you're a work in progress. Let me ask you, parents, is there ever a day you wake up that you do not absolutely love your children. You don't wait for them to get their whole life together before you love them. You love them in the process. How much more will our Heavenly Father, every day you get up, He loves you unconditionally. And He knows you're a work in progress. He's going to love you tomorrow. 
to experience the love of God is such an incredible gift. It was D.L. Moody, I've heard the story several ways, but he was very successful, had a very big growing church, and there was a couple ladies that came up to him and said, they said, Pastor, we're, we're praying that you get filled with the Spirit. How many of you know there's always a couple people in the church that are trying to help you get better? And so he was a successful pastor in a large church, but he was walking down, and I found the streets of Chicago, and he just felt like there was an emptiness in his life, even though he's very successful. And as he described, I've heard it different ways, as he was walking down, all of a sudden, just the love of God just came over D.L. Moody. And it was so strong that literally he said he had to ask God to stay his hand because he thought he was going to die in the love of God. From that day forward, his ministry was, he was still powerful. But from that day forward, he operated from the love of God and not to earn the love of God. I'm telling you, there's a big difference trying to earn God's favor and realize that you're 100% loved right now and you're, you're, you're wanting to serve him not to get his love, but from his love. When it dawns on you how much God loves you, you'll have to pull over and just cry. You won't be able to drive unless you got windshield wipers on your glasses. True love loves others. If people say to me, well, Pastor, how, how, how do I know how my love with God is going? Is there a way I can measure my love for God? Oh, yeah. And it's measured by how you love other brothers and sisters. Because John says, a lot of people say they love God, they just don't like his children. Can I get a witness to that? You guys are really, really good. All right. So John, more than any other writer, John develops this idea of love. He says in 1 John chapter 3, we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brother. One way we know that we know that we know Jesus is when all of a sudden we begin to love his children. Because you cannot separate your love for God and your love for the brothers and sisters. When you find yourself frustrated, how many of you know Baptists are the only ones that can stand nose to nose and not see eye to eye? Yeah. You give me three Baptists, I'll give you ten opinions. And sometimes getting along with other people can be a challenge. But you know, when you're in love with God, all of a sudden you begin to love his children, even though they're a work in progress, you still love them. You say, I don't, I don't even know why I'm going to that church because I don't agree with a lot of it. I've got frustrated. They wouldn't pick my color of carpet. I don't even know why I'm going, but I just have to be there. I just love those people. That's when your love's growing. So John's pretty honest. In chapter 4, he says this, Let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's impossible to love God and not love people. And I, I'm speaking to the choir because you guys are here. But I mean, there's something there. You can always measure your love for God by how much you love his children. Now, the New Testament talks a lot about the love of God. I just want to give you a few of them. In Romans, it says love is the fulfillment of the law. It says in Galatians, in love, serve one another. I missed one there. Let me back up. Let me back up. 
Be rooted and grounded in love in the book of Ephesians. Also in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. Walk in love. Be knit together in love. Abound in love to one another. Let brotherly love continue. Love one another with a pure heart. And then maybe Paul summarizes it the best in the book of Galatians when he says this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. I mean, the whole book is fulfilled in this one thing, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see why it's the bedrock foundation? Without love, literally everything else we're building on will collapse. The whole law is fulfilled in this one word. No greater example in the Bible, I mentioned it a little bit last week, is the church of Ephesus. As Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, today, if you go to modern-day Turkey, the city, this is the ruins of the city of Ephesus. It was one of the greatest cities in biblical days. And it also had a lot of pagan worship. There was a lot of evil in this city. But how many of you know where there's a lot of evil, it's good to have a church be the light? Because we live in a country that needs a lot of light. And we have that opportunity. But the church at Ephesus, and this is my opinion, of all the churches that have ever existed, maybe Ephesus was the greatest church ever. Paul, the Apostle Paul, spent three years in Ephesus. I mean, he poured his life day and night for three years. You remember when he met with the elders in the latter part of uh, Acts chapter 20? They wept together because they knew they weren't going to see each other. And Paul was just trying to encourage the elders of Ephesus, stay strong. I mean, he loved this church. When Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus, Timothy, who was his son in the faith, pastored the church at Ephesus. And when you read 1 Timothy in your Bible, Paul wrote it to Timothy while he was pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote the letter to Ephesians in our Bible that was written to this church. So Timothy pastored there. Paul spent three years there. The apostle John also lived in Ephesus. Can you imagine the apostle John as a member of your church? Wow. That'd be hard to get up and preach in front of John. Not that you guys are, I mean, you guys can make it tough. But John, can you imagine John? And I believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, also lived in Ephesus, as I shared last week. Matter of fact, if you go to Ephesus, they have a house called Mary's House. That's a traditional place that supposedly Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived. Now, did she live there? I have no idea. But can you imagine a church with all that foundation, all that leadership, one of the greatest churches ever? It's no wonder when Jesus wrote the church in Revelation 2, he said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. Jesus said, man, you guys are hitting it on 99% of the cylinders. You're flat doing it to the point of exhaustion. And you're doing it for my name's sake. This was a great church. But Jesus said, I just have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. In all of your busyness, in all of your going, in all of your doing, you've got so busy serving God, you've lost that honeymoon love. 
And we talked uh, Wednesday night a little bit about it. How many of you know what honeymoon love is? How many of you ever go out to eat? How many of you can recognize the couple that's on their honeymoon? It's sickening. It's real sickening. Uh, it's gook at each other, goo goo gaga. Their mouth drools. They sit really, really close together. They go off down the road, looks like a two headed driver. How many of you remember those days? I always tell Brenda, it wasn't me that moved, I'm still here. I'm just teasing. Can I tell you, if I'm, if I'm confessing, if you would ask me my biggest struggle in ministry, it's not staying busy. There's always stuff to do. I think it was Adrian Rogers that said his biggest struggle was not between good and bad, but between good and best. Can I tell you, my biggest struggle has been getting so busy that sometimes I put my relationship, my intimacy with God on the back burner. Jesus said to this church, man, you've left your first love. He didn't say they didn't love him, but he said you've lost that passion. You've lost that passion that you once had as a new believer. And he says this to the church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, when was it that you lost that passion? He says, repent and do the first works. Get back to those things you used to do when you were passionately in love with me or else I will come and to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Twice in this one verse, he tells them to repent. A church that's hidden on 99% of the cylinders, he says, but that one thing is missing. You need to repent. I wonder what would happen in America today and around the world if all of his children would repent and get back to that intimacy with God. It's so important to God. You say, is it really that big of a deal? It's so important. Jesus said, if you don't get this one thing right, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's crazy. All the good things they were doing, how could Jesus say, if that one thing isn't put back in place, I'm going to remove your witness? That's crazy. Today, if you go to Ephesus... This is the church of Ephesus. They didn't make it. This church that was on fire for God. This church that was hitting it on 99% of the cylinders. Today, this church is a heap of ruins. And the good news is, I'm not telling you to do more, do more, do more, busy, busy. I'm telling you to back down. To fall back in love with God. Make loving God the priority of your life. And again, we know we're falling in love with God when we start loving each other. It goes hand in hand. Paul wrote a letter to the church, as I mentioned, the book of Ephesians is actually written to this church. And I want to close with this last verse. He's praying for the church, and he's praying for them to experience the love of God. I mean, in a deep way. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, if you could just know the height, the depth, the width, the length, 
And then he says this as he's praying for the church. He wants them to experience the love of God because it's so vitally important. He says this as he's praying for the church, that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up throughout your being to the, all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Whew, that's what he prayed for the church that he loved. I'm praying that you get so full of God, it just overflows, and you just have such an intimate love relationship with God. I've been burnt out so many times in my life where I find myself just going, going, going. I wonder what would happen if we would all repent and get back to that first love. It really is the bedrock foundation of what every church should be about. It's a love relationship with God. I want to ask you to stand. We have a couple here, Casey and Julie Kidd. I'm asking you guys, they've been here for, well, they came in at least at the end of all three services. So they've been here for the duration. So I'm going to let him just kind of say, even though I may have already said, I appreciate, we got connected with them through Drew Gradicky, Drew and, and Emily. So you guys are serving where? Hey, good morning. Uh, we are serving in the Peruvian Amazon jungle, primarily training tribal pastors. All right. Are pastors always easy to work with? Always, man. Good answer, baby. Good answer. All right. Even though I know that's not true. All right. So if you guys will sit over here, as I've had them sit here in every service, I'm going to ask some of you just to come and get around them, and uh, if you're comfortable doing that, I just want us to pray for them, and they're going to meet with our missions committee, and uh, Dave and Lynn have, have been hosting them. Dave and Lynn have such a heart for missions. I appreciate this couple. So those who feel led just to kind of get around them and pray for them. I know those of you that have been through the winter weekend, you're probably exhausted. I don't want anyone to leave here tonight, today without really knowing how much God loves you. And again, He loves you exactly as you are. He loves you in the process. God's not going to love you more tomorrow or love you less. Every day, it's 100% love. And once you begin to experience that love, you just naturally, you want to be more like Christ. Not because you have to, you want to. If you feel comfortable, I just want you to raise a hand or raise a couple hands as a small child would reach up to their mama or papa. And I just want you just to give God who you are. And would you just say to God, you want a love relationship with Him to be the absolute most important thing in your life. Would you just let God love on you? I just want you to experience the love of God, that He loves you as you are.
He not only loves you, He actually likes you. I want to pray a simple prayer. And if you're here today and you're not honestly sure that if you were to step into eternity, that you would be welcomed into God's kingdom because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart to His. Dear Jesus, I'm reminded today how much you love me. That you love me so much. Even though I was a sinner, you died on the cross for my sin. And you died so that I could spend an eternity with you. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to share with somebody before you leave today. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about some of those foundations built on top of the foundation of love. If we don't get anything else right, we want to get that right. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. I hope you have an amazing week, and I hope that the love of God spills out everywhere we go, that that river of living water would come out of our words, our actions, and we would just share that love everywhere we go. Let's pray together. We're going to close out with a song. Uh, if they have a minute, they're going to join me in the back, but if not, they're fine. They're getting prayed for, which is important. Let me pray. Father, thank you for each one that's here today. I thank you for Casey and Julie. Father, I just pray your spirit would rest on them as they minister in Peru. But I pray for all my church family, my brothers and sisters who are here today. God, fill us and saturate us. Help us to know your love. Help us to experience your unconditional love for us. Saturate us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.